When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode number 113 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying if you're listening to this episode on audio-only platforms like Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you find your podcast, that's where you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And if you listen to this episode on YouTube, thank you so much for clicking on the video. Please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe as I will greatly appreciate it. All the love and support that I can get as I am now past 250 subscribers, as I'm sure you may have seen on my Instagram at Merv's Cartown. So now I am on my way to 500 and hopefully we can get there, I don't know, soon, I guess. <laughs> so we do have a bunch of stuff to talk about today. Uh, I don't know about it. Is it a bunch? We have two main topics I want to get to today, but I really want to dive deep into both of them. Obviously, the Celtics. Their game two victory on Wednesday over the Brooklyn Nets. And then I also want to talk a little bit about the Patriots and their draft. I'm not going to cover the full draft. I did that on Monday when I talked about, oh no, when did I do? I did on Friday, excuse me. I did that on Friday, uh, last week's episode. So I'm going to really dive into just the Patriots draft needs, avenue, paths that they could take. Because the draft is in one week from today. One week from today. And I'm very excited for it. So with that being said, I do have a small announcement to make. And I haven't actually updated my big board yet. So let me uh, do that right now. Kind of do this on the fly here. So real quick, just a couple housekeeping things. Next week, Monday, episode 139. That is normal. 
episode number 140 will not be on Friday. It will actually be on the following Monday. Was that May uh, 30, 31, the 1st? So that'll be on May 1st. So just let me double check with the real calendar. Uh, May 2nd. Okay, so episode 140 will be on May 2nd. And instead of Friday having episode 140, the 29th, that is the first round of the NFL draft. I'm going to be doing a NFL draft live stream. Yes, I did it last year, if you remember, where I was live streaming. I was at my house at the time in my office and just kind of, you know, shooting the shit, hanging and banging until the Patriots selected Mac Jones with the 15th overall pick. So I'm going to stay live all the way up until 21 or whenever the Patriots select in the first round, hoping that they do. Obviously, they could trade back, and that's a discussion we'll have in a little bit today. But yeah, whether they trade up to, like, say, 10, whether they stay at 21 or if they move back to 28 or whatever, we will be on live stream up until the Patriots make their selection in the first round. And obviously, if they trade out of the first round, once that news breaks, then we'll probably wrap up the live stream right then and there. So, yes, I'm very, very excited for the draft. And as you guys know, I've been saying this on just about every episode since I came back for season two, is how much I love the draft, and I'm so excited. There's so many different avenues a bunch of teams can go down. But today, we're just going to talk about the Patriots. We'll probably talk about a little bit more of the NFL in whole come Monday for episode 139. But we're also going to be talking about the Celtics that day, too. And speaking of the Celtics, let's dive in to the Boston Celtics and their Game 2 victory over the Brooklyn Nets. 114-107, had to bring up the score, so there was the pause. Durant, 27 points. Bruce Brown dropped the first, like, 9 or 12 points or whatever. He finished with 23. Kyrie Irving, 10 points. 10 points Eight rebounds, one assist. Seth Curry, 16 points. Goran Dragic, 18 points. I mean, the Nets just didn't look like themselves. They started off hot. Trust me, Bruce Brown was cooking. Seth Curry was splashing. Kevin Durant was making shots. And, you know, make, he, was a, he was a factor. He was. I mean, not the big factor that we would have expected, you know, Kevin Durant to be. But he was a factor nonetheless. But then you look at the Celtics. No 40 points by Tatum, no 30 points by Brown or Tatum for that matter. I mean, there was one Celtic that scored over 20 points, and that was Jalen Brown. The scoring was so evenly distributed, it's not even funny. Tatum, 19. Al Horford, 16. Tice, 15. Jalen Brown, 22, like I mentioned. Smart, 12. Grant Williams, 17. Peyton Pritchard, 10. And then Derek White with just three, but that's okay. The scoring was plentiful across the board for all the Celtics that played in that game. I mean, Tatum, 19-10. He was just a couple, a few rebounds from a triple-double. Al Horford looking like vintage old-school Al from, what, like 10 years ago with the Hawks? I mean, come on. The dude was just, he was lights out, playing fantastic defense. I mean, being a presence as a big man on the perimeter, uh, coming out for double teams, I mean, it's just like, he looks like Al Horford, oh, when we first brought him in back in, what, 20, uh, Jesus, 15, 16? I forget the first year we had. I think it was 16. Uh, let's see, Marcus Smart doing depoy things, you know, defensive player of the year. Got honored before the game. Very nice ceremony with, you know, Gary Payton and accepting the award. Very, 
Very, very nice ceremony. But he had 12 points. Fantastic game in 36 minutes. Grant Williams hit, uh, what was it, towards the end of, was it the first or was it the second? I think it was the end of the first. It was just splash, splash, splash. You know, just really bringing the Celtics back into it. I know they finished the fourth quarter down by nine, but Grant Williams was a major reason why we were in that game, you know, in that first half. And then obviously with the great defense that he brings, grabbing six rebounds in 32 minutes, just playing important key minutes, especially where Tice was in foul trouble early. And then you get a little foul trouble with Al Horford. So it was just like Celtics got to go small, but it ended up working out. So... As a whole, the Celtics really won game two as a team. And I don't think any of us are complaining. Not a single person. I mean, you can look at game one, Tatum 31, Horford 20, Brown 23, Marcus Smart 20. And you won by one point. Okay, it's nice to see Tatum being able to drop 30 in 45 minutes. But like I said, only four players really did the majority of scoring. Tice, four points, White, seven, Williams, seven, Pritchard, three. Okay, then you fast forward to game two. Uh, nope, I don't want to watch the video. Hold on. Stand by. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in double digits. Seven. And Tatum only playing 41 minutes, not having to play 45, so his younger legs will definitely appreciate that, even though he can play the 45 minutes. But it's the first round, and it's good to see him get a little bit of rest. So come that fourth quarter stretch, you will have him with some hopefully more fresher legs than like a Durant or even a Kyrie Irving for that matter. But this team really was able to, they got down early, you know, they, they buckled down, the fans were out of it early, but then the Celtics started coming back and then the fans were, you know, getting back into it. And I'm telling you, the importance of home court in the NBA playoffs is so crucial. And there's a stat out there, I don't know where, and I don't know how up to date that stat is, but... Role players, bench players, they perform significantly better at home than they do on the road for obvious reasons. They got the crowd cheering for them. You know, whenever the team makes shots or when they make shots, the crowd's going through the roof. So you're getting some energy. You're feeling good and confident. And that makes a lot of sense. And you don't get that on the road. And that's why the importance of home court advantage is so important and crucial to these Celtics because they do have a lot of role players. Like your Peyton Pritchard, your Grant Williams. I mean, Daniel Tice is a starter, but I mean, he's not someone that you're going to rely on for 15 points every night. But when you get it, you're going to be extremely appreciative of those 15 points. Same for Al Horford. I mean, you don't expect him to drop 16 to 20 points every night. But if you can get it, you're going to take it. And is that kind of level of play going to transfer to Brooklyn or anywhere on the road? More often than not, it's not going to. So that's why having home court for game one and game two and having home court for four out of the seven games in the series is going to be extremely beneficial. And being the, not to jump ahead here, but being the second team, uh, the second seed in the East, you're going to have home court advantage against everybody you play with the exception of the Miami Heat. The only team that you will play that you will not have home court in the Eastern you know, at, uh, process of the playoffs is against the Heat. So when, or if, I should say if, you play Milwaukee, you'll have home court. If you play Philadelphia, you'll have home court. I mean, if Toronto's able to make a name of themselves, you'll have home court. So having won games one and two, 
You go to Brooklyn up to nothing. You put the pressure on them because now they have to go win tomorrow. Tomorrow they have to go out and win. Otherwise, they're going to be down 3 nothing. And it's going to be basically do or die for them because the Nets, they were in game one, they were down big. They came back but still lost. Okay. Moralizing, crushing defeat. It's game one. It's early the series. If you didn't play so badly early on, you probably would have won that game. That's the mentality you go into with game two. Game two, you start off hot. You start off with a double-digit lead. Your lead is as big as 17 points at one point. And then you go ice cold in the fourth quarter, scoring four points in, what, nine minutes? And you lose that game by seven points. So it's like, you know, we, we started off cold in game one, and we got hot, and we lost by a point in game one in a game that we know how we can win now. So we go... Make the adjustments. We apply it in game two. We apply it and we successfully execute it early in the first half of game one. And then come the end of the third quarter, fourth quarter, we lose our ways and we still lose by seven points. So it's basically game one and game two for the Brooklyn Nets just flip-flopped. So their mindset going into game three now could be a little shattered. But you have to expect them to come out with a desperation punch. To kind of go up big by uh, in the first quarter against the Celtics. To try to knock them out, get their fans to take the Celtics out of the game. Because obviously when, you know, in Boston, whenever Kyrie touches the ball, you know, Kyrie sucks or, you know, F you Kyrie or whatever the chants are, you're not, obviously you're not going to have that on your advantage. You're maybe getting, you know, F you Tatum or, you know, you know, Jalen Brown sucks or whatever the, the chance may be, may come from the Brooklyn Nets fan base, whatever it is. You're not going to have home court. So you're going to be in a hostile environment with hostile fans, expectedly hostile fans. Probably get some juice from the Brooklyn Nets being down 2 nothing. They need to win this game. Like I said, you're going to get a desperation push early from the Nets to try to take the Celtics out of the game early so the Nets can just coast to a Game 3 victory. But you have to be able to take that punch, take it off the chin. I mean, you did it in Game 2. You were down big. You were down by double digits in the first quarter. You were down by 9. Then you're down by 14. You come back. You're down by 17. You come back. And your defense wins game two by holding the Nets to, what, four points in nine minutes and then 17 total points in the fourth quarter? You know, they, they went on a little hot streak there towards the end. But, I mean, four points in nine minutes in the fourth quarter, I will take that. I will absolutely take that. So I do strongly believe that the Celtics defense can carry over to Brooklyn. But my main concern is, is will the offense be able to carry over? Because like I said, you got, uh, oh, hold on, let me go to the Celtics. You got 16 from Al Horford, 15 from Tice, 12 from Marcus Smart, 17 from Grant Williams, and 10 from Peyton Pritchard. Are you going to get that same kind of production in Brooklyn as you did here in Boston? And again, statistically, role players do not perform nearly as well on the road as they do at home for obvious reasons that I already mentioned. So with that being said, it does leave me a little worried that the Celtics' offense may dry up a little bit because Tatum could go out and score 40. Brown could go give you 30, sure. That's only 70 points, though. You got to expect that KD and Kyrie Irving are going to be able to do the same because if I'm expecting you know, 70 points from Tatum and Brown, then you have to expect 70 points from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because the two superstars, you know, you know, it doesn't matter who you favor, but they're debatably, you know, kind of 
uh, what's the term here? They're debatably, you know, crossing each other out, right? So it's going to come down to whose bench can score, whose bench is going to be better. And obviously in game one and game two, the Celtics were able to pull it out, but that's because they had home court. With the Nets now having home court, is a Seth Curry going to drop 25? Is a, uh, let's see, a... Uh, you know, Bruce Brown, who just dropped 23 in Boston, will he drop 30 points? Will Andre Drummond get a double-double? You know, Goran Dragic had 18 points. What is he going to do when he, uh, for Game 3? Is he going to score 30 points himself? Patty Mills had 5 points in Game 2. Could he drop 15, 20 points? And there's going to be the difference right there for the Celtics, especially if their bench is only scoring points like they did in Game 1, which, let me pull up Game 1, you have... Tice with four points, Derek White with seven, Williams with seven, Pritchard with three. So these are all things that you need to consider and all factors and variables that are going to go into the eventual outcome of game three on tomorrow night. And tomorrow night's game tips off at 7.30 in Brooklyn, obviously, so that's Eastern time. What can we expect from this game? Well, I already kind of touched upon it. I expected Brooklyn Nets to come out high-flying, a little bit of desperation, uh, maybe some recklessness. I don't I don't know, but I can definitely expect Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, single-handedly winning this game for them, maybe putting up 30 points together. And if that's the case, what are we going to see from the Celtics? I am going to expect the role players to take a huge step back. But can I still see, uh, can I still see the Celtics winning this game? Of course. Absolutely. They have all the momentum in the world. Could they be facing a sh mentally shattered Brooklyn Nets? Yes. Is it expected? Expected? I, I, I don't think that's expected, but it's definitely plausible. It's absolutely possible, too. And if the Celtics do win, am I going to say that Game 4 is a wash? Uh, well, you know what? Let's, let's just focus on Game 3. The same mentality that I sat here with on Monday's episode 137. Just focus on Game 2. I don't care about game three, four, five, six, seven. I don't care. I don't care about going to Brooklyn. Just focus on game two and win game two. You did that. Okay. Let's just focus now on game three. That's it. And then come Monday's episode for 139 on, on April 25th, we'll talk about game three. We'll react and break it down. And we'll also look ahead to game four as that game will be later that night um, at 7 p.m. on Monday. So, what am I looking for? Three things I'm looking for from the Celtics is defense travels. We're, we need that defense to travel to Brooklyn because, again, Kyrie, Katie can easily put up 30. They can easily put up 40. Um, if you allow one of them to do it, they, that might still be enough for the Brooklyn Nets to win it. But both of them can easily do it. So you need that defense, that high-energy defense to travel with being on the road. You may not get that natural organic energy from the fans in the crowd. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Ime Adoka and the Celtics staff and obviously the players themselves can kind of energize themselves to bring that high-intensity defense. Number two, what kind of, ooh, my knuckle just cracked. What kind of performance are we going to get from Jason Tatum? He's been exceptional in games one and two. Is that going to get to his head? Is he going to try to coast and just, you know, just, you know, flick it? Ah, it'll go in. Ah, it'll go in. Or is he going to stay headstrong and push forward and be that superstar, that top 10 player that he wants to be, that he thinks he is, that I want him to be, and that I think he is? Go out into a hostile. It's easy to play good at home. 
It's hard to play good on the road, and Tatum needs to go out and prove that here in Game 3. And then regardless of the outcome, he's going to have to do it in Game 4 as well. And the third thing I'm looking forward to is obviously the role players that I've already alluded to a few times now is can they give you anywhere near the same level of production that you got in Game 2 compared to Game 1? Because if you get the production that you got in Game 1, then you're going to need Tatum to drop near 40. You're going to need Brown to get near 30. But if you can have everybody score 20, 20, 20, 18, 15, 10, 22, 17, and win the ball game that way, I'd rather see the team win that way than just Tatum or Brown just dropping 40, 50 points and just relying on one player. I'd rather it be a team effort. So I do want to see if that team effort from the role players, not named Brown and Tatum, will be able to carry over and play here in a hostile environment in Brooklyn. So those are three things that I'm looking forward to in Game 3 for the Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. I am very excited right now. You know, I really sat down. I indulged in Game 2, and I'm very excited that I did because it was such a great game. But yes, Game 3 of their Best of 7 series is tomorrow, Saturday, April 23rd, tip-off around 7.30 p.m. with the Boston Celtics leading the series, the Best of 7 series, two games to nothing. This game will be in Brooklyn, New York, as will Game 4 be. But let's go Celtics, baby. Let's go Celtics. So that is going to wrap it up for my Celtics discussion here to open up the episode. I do want to pivot over to football and the Patriots. I want to focus on just the Patriots and their upcoming draft. And what can we look for? I've given my mock drafts already. I still have uh, 2.0 pulled up here, and I have the Patriots selecting Devin Lloyd out of, uh, where is he, Utah? Let me see if I can pull up his profile, a little script on him real quick. Devin Lloyd, uh, there isn't a coach who could better serve the Utah star than Bill Belichick. Lloyd would help the Patriots create all kinds of legal defensive confusion. He can shoot up field and uh, take down backs, which is essential in a division with two teams regularly running outside zone. He can also take away intermediate targets, which seriously hampers the progression for two younger quarterbacks in the division. Um, that is... Connor Orr from SI.com's report on Devin Lloyd uh, in regards to the Patriots potentially drafting him. Let's see. Is there another one in here? Um, hmm. Devin Lloyd. Uh, this is from Mel Kuyper Jr. of ESPN. I thought about a wide receiver and a cornerback here at 21, but Lloyd just feels like a Bill Belichick type player. He's always around the ball. is a great blitzer from the middle of the defense and makes plays. The Patriots allowed 4.5 yards per carry last season, which ranked 25th in the league. This fills a void with an impact player. So there's a few different avenues, obviously, the Patriots could go down with. And Devin Lloyd, linebacker from Utah, is absolutely one of them. Uh, he is in my mock draft 2.0. When I do 3.0 sometime next week, will it be the same? I'm not exactly sure. But besides, besides him, there's obviously N'Kobe Dean. If I can just find him real quick. Where is N'Kobe Dean? Do, 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 Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd. Where is he? I just saw him. Um, Devin Lloyd. So many Devin Lloyd. N'Kobe Dean. Here we go. Uh, this is from Jason McKintry from Fox Sports. Remember how incredible he was during the season? After three months of just seeing workouts and in-person interviews, Dean feels forgotten. He's going to be a steal this late. 
He feels like the quintessential Bill Belichick leader, the same way Gerard Mayo and Dante Hightower once were in New England. So that is a little script up on N'Kobe Dean. And where do I have N'Kobe Dean going? I have him going to the Eagles at 18. So I even said in my uh, mock 2.0 breakdown video on Sunday the 17th and also in episode 136 on Friday last week that I could see them going flip-flop. You know, the Eagles at 18 taking uh, Devin Lloyd and then the Patriots at 21 taking Kobe Dean and I'd be completely fine with that. And I still would be okay with that. Do I have a preference of who I'd rather have? To be honest, no, because I like them both. But... Personally, I'd rather have a Jameson Williams um, just because I think that wide receiver is going to be a much better suited fit for the Patriots. Yes, you have Devontae Parker. You have Kendrick Bourne. Okay. Jacoby Myers. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this coming season. So are you going to pay him what he's probably going to be worth? I don't think you will be based on your track record. So you can pretty much chalk him up as gone. That leaves you with two wide receivers for the future. Uh, Nikhil Harry's probably not going to make it out of camp, so you can chalk him up as gone. And once Nelson Aguilar's big guaranteed money is all all done, he's probably going to be out the door. So that leaves you with two wide receivers on your current roster, especially with Gunnar Oshleski now gone in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you may be good for this year without drafting a wide receiver, but what about next year? And I don't know what next year's wide receivers class is going to look like compared to uh, this year, but all I know is you have two Alabama wide receivers in Jameson Williams and um, John Mechie that would both be great fits here in New England. Uh, let me just read. Uh, James, uh, John Mechie, obviously, you can get in the second or third round. So if you do pass on a wide receiver, then I do expect the Patriots to get one in the second or the third round. But let me just read you Jameson Williams, a little script up here from Vinny Iyer from Sporting News. Uh, the Patriots would... The Patriots, should Wilson and Olave be gone, shouldn't hesitate to pair Williams with another Alabama product in Mac Jones, who didn't get to play with him in college. Williams is a big playmaker with the technical route running skills and hands the Patriots like. So, I mean, Jamison Williams, if he wasn't injured, would be a top 10 pick in this draft. 100%. Obviously, with his injury, as he tore his ACL in the national championship game, he is falling down big boards very, very fast. However, there is some reports that he may be coming back sooner because that knee is speeding up a little bit. This is uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Analyst. The Patriots need to get more dynamic weapons for Mac Jones. Though he's currently recovering from a torn ACL, Williams has elite top speed and toughness. I mean, you don't have that currently on this Patriots team. You, at the moment, do not have that. So if you can bring in someone that does have that in a Jamison Williams, then let him recover because, like I said, you're good for wide receivers right now. For this year, you're okay. You know, Devontae Parker really kind of helps things fall into place. Regardless if you let uh, Nikhil Harry go or not, you still have Aguilar, you still have uh, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, and obviously Devontae Parker, like I mentioned. But again, you'll have two of those guys on your roster next season. And Jamison Williams, you draft him, let him recover. He'll come back towards the end of the season and may give you a little playoff push and a jolt towards the playoffs. But you're going to have three good wide receivers entering next year, entering Mac Jones' third year. All while, he's still working with him behind the scenes, working with him towards the end of 2022. So I just think this is a really great pick. 
I think if Jamison Williams is there, come 21, N'Kobe Dean is gone and Devin Lloyd are both gone, this is the no-brainer. Because, yes, I've heard that Jordan Davis can be linked to the Patriots. I've heard that, um, what's his name, the other guy, uh, Devontae Wyatt has been linked to the Patriots as well at 21. I just don't think they have a need like that at nose tackle, or at least on the D-line. Could it be a want? Yes. It absolutely could be a want, but I do not believe that it is a need. And then another name that I've seen on here is, uh, if I can just find it, nope. Uh, what's what's the other guy's name? Oh, man, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, oh, um, oh, my goodness, Drake London. So Drake London has also been projected and mocked to the Patriots at 21. Um, yes, he would give... Mac Jones, a large catch radius. He's uh, great yards after the catch. But do I expect Drake London to be there at 21? And do you even want Drake London at 21, to be honest? Because I just, I mean, I'm not sold on Drake London. I'm really, really not. I just, I just like the elite speed that I'm getting from Jamison Williams. You know, Drake London's a very good yards at the catch. But he's not as quick as Jamison Williams. And he does have some strength. He's a bigger body receiver. But the last time he drafted a bigger body receiver, it didn't work out with Nikhil Harry. So I'm not trying. And I know he he, he also goes to USC, which, you know, has had a few busts in recent history. Um, Sam Darnold. But, you know, we're not here to name names. Uh, let's see, where do I have Drake London mocked at? I have him mocked at number eight going to the Falcons. And, like, I'm not even convinced about that. Could he go that early? Absolutely. But I I see Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave going before. Therefore, Drake London would drop. Could we see Drake London go to, you know, the Eagles, the Ravens, the Texans? Yes, yes, yes. I have Jameson Williams mocked right now at 19 to the, Patri- uh, to the Saints. Could we see Drake London fall there? Of course we could, but if Drake London does fall to the Patriots at 21, say Devin Lloyd and or N'Kobe Dean is still available, do I want the Patriots to take Drake London at that point? Probably not. I think the only receiver that I want at 21, obviously if they're available, is Jameson Williams, and I don't see Garrett Wilson falling. I don't see Chris Olave falling, even though I do have Chris Olave uh, mocked at 22 to the Packers. I just... It's it's complicated. It's kind of complicated. Let's uh, read some other reports of other people um, projecting P, uh, players to go to the Patriots. Uh, Josh Edwards, CBS Sports NFL draft writer, he picked Daxton Hill, the defensive back from Michigan. Uh, a flex safety, a box safety, someone that could ma- uh, match up against linebackers, against tight ends. Uh, no, yeah, he can mark... Match up as a linebacker against tight ends or against running backs. You can mark uh, match up as a safety against those guys. You could throw him in the slot. High cover one safety. He's very versatile. Uh, let's see. Edwards analysis. New England vers- uh, values versatility in the secondary. After losing a lot at the position over the past two years, they invest in an early round choice in a player that can play either safety or slot cornerback. Okay. Devin Lloyd, we've already read. Here's another linebacker. Quay Walker. Uh, linebacker from Georgia, so Georgia has a ton of great defensive prospects. Walker, N'Kobe Dean, 
Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, let's see. Rob Rang, Fox Sports, says, Throughout much of the Belichick era, the Patriots have boasted one of the NFL's best linebacker corps. His group is facing a potentially significant transition in 2022. However, with longtime standouts Dante Hightower and Jamie Collins still on the free agent market, Walker isn't as polished as some of this year's other stellar linebackers, but his frame and athleticism fit the Patriots' way in Belichick. Notably, was on hand at George's Pro Day to watch him and the rest of the talented Bulldogs work out. So could Belichick be leaning some kind of defensive player like a N'Kobe Dean or a Quay Walker or Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt if they are there? Yeah, sure. I mean, Trayvon Walker, uh, obviously, you know, is a name, a big name that I'm forgetting. I do not believe that he will leave the top 10, let alone fall all the way down to 21. So I'm just going to kind of go off the assumption that he's already that he's already taken. Uh, Drake London, I've already talked about him. James Williams already talked about him. Andrew Booth is an interesting name, too. Let's see. I have Andrew Booth, the cornerback out of Clemson, mocked at 31 to Cincinnati Bengals, who desperately need a cornerback. I had him mocked there both one and two. Let's see. Luke Easterling at USA Today says this about Andrew Booth. After losing both Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson over the past year, the Pats desperately need an infusion of young talent at the corner position. They'll also need a prospect who is polished and ready to make an immediate impact. Couldn't agree more. That's exactly what they get in Booth, who has all the physical traits and mental prowess to be a perfect fit in the New England defense. He was among the nation's best at the premium position last season and would immediately be the team's best cover man. I feel like the Patriots are going to kind of stray away from man coverage this year uh, just because of who they brought in and what they currently have on the team. It just You're going to be going with smaller linebackers. You're not going to have those big beefy guys to take up the middle of the field and to cover. So with thinner linebackers, I just feel like zone's going to be more of a better bet for the team, especially with the lack of cornerbacks, no Gilmore, no Jackson, and you have Jalen Mills, you have um, Jonathan Jones, <sighs> Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones. Who's the other cornerback that you have? Oh, Jawan Williams. <laughs> so I mean, yes, this makes perfect sense. Daxton Hill makes perfect sense as well. I'd rather have a cornerback personally, but the Patriots are historically horrible. At drafting cornerbacks. And don't say that J.C. Jackson or Malcolm Butler because they both were undrafted. I'd rather see the Patriots just completely pass on a cornerback in this draft class. Just go pick one up at the undrafted free agent market and bring him in. That's what I, I just rather see that at this point. Cause I don't need to see them draft another... Uh, oh, God. What was his name? Cyrus Jones. I don't need to see a, another Cyrus Jones in here or Terrace Wheatley anything like those kind of bums. So as much as I do like Andrew Booth, and I think it'd be a great fit in here, it's just too many scarred moments uh, years past. Devin Lloyd we talked about, Lloyd we talked about. Trent McDuffie, he's an interesting one. And I have him picked at, he's my cornerback three on my personal big board behind, uh, what are their names? Derek Stanley and Sauce Gardner. I think both of them are falling drastically. And I think Trent McDuffie may be number three on a lot of people's big boards. So I think naturally he's going to fall as well. Could we see a Sauce Gardner go uh, to like you know to the the Giants at seven or the Seahawks at nine? Yes, I have them currently mocked in 2.0, going to the Washington Commanders at 11, 
Stingley 12 to the Vikings, and Trent McDuffie 13 to the Texans. When 3.0 comes out, I do expect that to be shuffled a little bit. But here's what, uh, let's see, what's his name? Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football had to say about Trent McDuffie going to the Patriots at 21. The Patriots didn't re-sign J.C. Jackson and are looking at Jalen Mills and Malcolm Butler. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Malcolm Butler. As the likely starting corners, neither is the long-term answer at cornerback one. McDuffie has a lot of fans around the league. That's it. That's it. That's a poorest report. But yes, Malcolm Butler, who I I did forget. So you have Butler, Jalen Mills, Joan Williams, and Jonathan Jones. Jonathan Jones is your slot corner. He's not going to play outside. He's your slot cornerback. He's quick, he's shifty, and he's explosive. Hence why he's a slot corner. Uh, Malcolm Butler... He's 30, 31 years old. Obviously, like you know, Schrager said, he's not the long-term answer cornerback one. But the same thing with Andrew Booth, though. I just scarred too much of the past failures at that cornerback position. I don't want to see them wasted. Obviously, if N'Kobe Dean's taken, if Devin Lloyd is taken, Jameson Williams, if uh, Chris Olave, Drake London, Jordan Davis, and Devontae Wyatt, they're all taken, and you have Trent McDuffie there on the board, then go ahead. Go ahead at that point because I don't want to see them reach on a uh, – I think Traylon Burks is a reach. I, I think um, Jahan Dotson's a reach, obviously. I don't think the Patriots should take 21 and go like a Kenyon Green or even a Bernard Raymond if he drops a little bit, which, you know, he's been projected a little all, all over the place. Sure, go ahead. Uh, here's Charles Davis, uh, NFL media analyst on Andrew Booth. Uh, the more you watch him on tape, the more you like what you see. The Pats have lost Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson over the last two seasons. So this Clemson Tiger will be drafted to play right now. And yes, I completely agree. But again, circling back, i just not a fan. Not a fan of it. Uh, let's see. Here's Jalen Petre, the safety from Baylor. Uh, Pete Prisco of CBS. Again, uh, versatile defensive back of the Belichick way. And Petre would bring the skill set to the Patriots. He can play near up the line or in the middle. He will be better than Kyle Hamilton, who will go early in the round. Uh, I don't know if he will be better than Kyle Hamilton, to be honest. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I think Kyle Hamilton is potentially the number two overall pick. I mean, he's a potential ten, top, top five pick, a potential top ten pick. No one talking about Jalen Petre um, being any of that. And I, I just think... You just can't compare apples and oranges here, and I think that's, you know, Hamilton's an apple and, you know, Jalen is an orange here. I just, I mean, I know Cal Hamilton's been a little all over the place early in the first round, anywhere between 2, 3, you know, 4, all the way to like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13. Jalen Petre's not going to go there. So I don't think he's better for that reason. It's just no one's talking about him like that. So obviously not even watching any tape. And only hearing this guy's name a couple times just kind of making me think like that. So, ugh, sorry about that. Daxton Hill, Devin Lloyd we talked about, Nicobe Dean we talked about. Uh, Kair Elam, the cornerback of Florida. Uh, again, after losing, you know, J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore, Patriots find their replacement with Elam in the draft. Provides infusion of youth into an aging secondary. I just It just doesn't cut it. Don't draft somebody just to put an infusion of youth in there. And don't draft someone just because you're aging in the secondary. Don't put don't draft someone at 21 just because you're desperate. You can find a cornerback later. You could probably find Elam in the second round, to be honest. You might even be able to find Petra in the second round. So if you want to go that route, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Uh, Andrew Booth, I don't see him being too far in the second round. So, I mean, you might have to reach a little bit there, and I don't want the Patriots to reach absolutely at all. You know, if he's if Booth is there in the second round, kind of like what you did with um, ah, oh, what's his name, Christian Barmore last year, where you moved up like ten spots or whatever it was to go draft Christian Barmore. I'd rather see the Patriots do something like that with Andrew Booth. Um, but there's still a ton more names we could talk about on here. I don't want to go uh, too too deep into it because I don't want to overwhelm you guys, especially if you're not too familiar with a bunch of these names that I've talked about, or even you know. Maybe you're just kind of puzzled and confused on what the Patriots are truly going to do. But again, this is NFL draft season, mock season. We have no idea what any of these teams are going to do. And that's why we just, you know, just talk about it, discuss about it, and just project Jamison Williams, Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, or Jordan Davis, or whoever going to the Patriots, or really any of these teams for that matter. But again, join the conversation I want to hear your thoughts and opinions about it in the comment section below if you're listening to this episode on YouTube or reach out to me via social media at Murph's Card Town. I'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, anything you want to debate, discuss, or even argue about. I'll happily do it on social media or in the comment section below if you're listening to this on YouTube. I greatly appreciate you downloading, listening, and enjoying this episode if you're listening on audio-only platforms. Every single download is greatly appreciated. If you're listening to this on YouTube, thank you so much for clicking on the video. Please make sure you like the video if you enjoyed it. Comment down below like I already mentioned. And please consider subscribing to the channel if you're new or have not considered subscribing just yet. As I would greatly appreciate the love and support. That is going to do it for this episode of Mertz Boston Sports Talk. I know it was a fairly shorter episode, but last episode was on the longer side. So I'm trying to just balance it back out real quick. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. I really do. The weather is going to be fairly nice for my recollection here. Let's see. Let's see. We have 65 today, 65 tomorrow, 53 on Sunday, and 62 on Monday. So fairly good weather here in the New England, Rhode Island area. So hopefully you have a fantastic weekend. I will catch you for episode number 139 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And then I will be making a uh, 2022 NFL Draft live stream uh, schedule on YouTube. So you can go and prepare and, you know, really wait to tune into that because I cannot wait for the NFL draft. It's going to be extremely, extremely fun. But again, that's going to do it for this episode. I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you and I will always, always see you.